Hello, and welcome to Fighting Over the VCR, the podcast where my sister and I talk about movies we grew up watching. My name is Matthew. My name is Nancy. And this episode, we are kind of continuing our summer blockbuster action-packed kind of theme, because um, we can't go to the movie theater and watch a bunch of summer blockbusters, so hey, let's flash back to ones that we went and watched. Later in the podcast, I'm going to talk about um, a movie that's very dear to me, Jurassic Park, while Nancy is going to get us started off with a kind of summer blockbuster, because it takes place around Christmas, but and it's not named Die Hard, so, um, but she's going to get us started off talking about um, The Long Kiss Goodnight. Thank you, Matt. I, I had, uh, I'm going to tell you, Nance, I had never seen this movie, and I think you were kind of surprised when I told you that. So I want to pre- I appreciate you letting me borrow your DVD um, so I could watch it. You're welcome. Um, so, guys, The Long Kiss Goodnight is a great uh, spy movie. It deals with a topic that is near and dear to my heart, amnesia. Um, <laughs> we've talked Nancy, about this. Nancy has her biggest fear. That's one of your, I think besides crocodiles and maybe like all waking up and all your hair falling out, your biggest fear is probably having amnesia. Well, I mean, as, as certainly as a plot device, it's, it's always been very interesting to me. I mean, we've talked about desperately seeking Susan and we've talked a lot about soap operas, which deal with amnesia, but this movie, do, you know, this movie starts off where the lead character, played by Gina Davis, her name is Samantha Kane. She is, you know, a school teacher in, you know, a snowy town. I'm going to guess like in Vermont or somewhere. She's just doing her thing. She's got a daughter who's, I believe, eight. She's with a nice, been dating a nice man. And while she's on, while she's driving a really drunk man home, from a Christmas party, hits a deer, flies out of her car, whacks her head really hard, because that seems to be the magic trick with amnesia, and she starts to remember things, or things start kind of coming back to her. Now, she tells us at the very beginning that she's only eight years old, but of course, she was born on a on the shore and outside of Jersey and in a full-grown body, and she has no idea anything that happened to her before that morning that she woke up. So um, it's revealed that she was like this highly trained assassin, (laughs) which, you know, again, takes some time to unpack. But um, because she was like the Mrs. Claus in the local town Christmas parade, um, another assassin that she encountered uh, spotted her on this video and broke out of prison and shows up at her house. And again, all these things start coming back to her. We also have Samuel L. Jackson, who is a quote unquote low rent. That's what she calls him. A low rent um, PI who's been helping her try to, you know, help, help her try to figure out what her past was. And just coincidentally, he and his partner, get a really big hit all of a sudden at the same time this Christmas parade happens. So he's on his way to go visit her to give her some new information, and then all hell breaks loose. Yeah, Matt already alluded to the fact that there is a diehard-like quality to this movie. 
Um, I hadn't really thought of it that way until watching it today. It was only because of the whole idea of it being an action movie taking place around Christmas. Could it also be because Samuel L. Jackson was her partner? Like he was in Die Hard with a Vengeance? Sure, but it also could be because the director directed Die Hard 2. Okay. <laughs> that, you know, yeah. fair enough. <laughs> Let's just, Rennie Harlan, um, who directed The Long Kiss Goodnight, is also married to Gina Davis, ah. or at least was for a, ver- for a period of time. So, you know, there was... Um, a few movies like Cutthroat Island. That oh, was he another did that one? Rennie Harlan, oh. Gina Davis action movie, and then there's this. And um, but I'm not exactly sure how many more they mm. did. But um, Nancy, you can look up um, Rennie Harlan because there's something, there's a connection that he and I have that you'll find interesting. Is it same but, birthday? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, well, you know, again, so the, this movie, I mean, I don't know if I want to, like, have this entire discussion be a how is this like Die Hard and how is it not like Die Hard, but it really has a lot of Die Hard qualities to me. She is tortured a lot more than John McClane was, and she knows the people who are after her, like she had a relationship with them. Unlike John McClane, who was a perfect stranger in this whole, his whole situation. Like, you know, he was, as they say, a fly in the ointment. He was just mucking up the works and he didn't know, um, Hans Gruber and all them. And I'll just say this too. Hans Gruber is one of my favorite villains of all time. And the villains in this movie are a little more Jamoki. They're, they're not pretty. They're terrible. And and they're and they're all Americans, so there's not like the the kind of European intrigue involved. And um, I have a question because I mean, granted, I, I I don't know how many times you've watched this. Probably six it, or seven. Okay, so you've definitely watched it more than I have. Yeah. Can you please explain to me what the whole purpose of what they were do, what the villains were doing was? Because it seemed either it wasn't very obvious, other than the fact that they wanted to blow something up, it either wasn't very obvious or very poorly explained. Okay, well, this came out in 96. So this came out before 9-11. And I think it was all about allocating funds to, like, a defense budget. Because Mr. Perkins you know, I believe was a congressman and, you know, he had been, he was kind of like the, the inside man within the government that, you know, had a, that had like a public face cause everyone else was, a, you know, in a secret division of the government. Um, and I think they wanted to stage a terrorist attack and then the terrorist attack would then allow everybody would mobilize public interest in funding more defense projects that was my vibe from it. That's kind of <clears throat> that's kind of what I got from it. But it like there wasn't. I know it seems like 
very James Bondian to have like this grandiose exp- explanation of what your whole plot is, what your you know what the crime is that you're supposed to do. But Maybe. at the same time, like I felt like I wasn't as invested because other than the fact that you know she's an assassin and there's this group of them that want her dead. Other than that, I was kind of like. What is she trying to save? <laughs> well, and the other thing that seemed really weird to me today. So she bumped her head eight years before and then got her memory back, you know, eight years later. This mission that they were working on from eight years was going to just coincidentally happen at the same time as her gaining her memory back. How could they have had an eight-year-long planned mission that hadn't gotten done yet? Like, to me, that that really seemed kind of dumb. Like, it would have seemed like they would have, they would have gone, had way more projects come and go in that time frame. The, the one thing that she was aware of, based on one postcard with the clues, how could this Operation Honeymoon still have been in effect? That's That was, like, a plot point of the whole bad guy motivation that just was like dumb to me um but yeah because it's 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 kind of it's not good storytelling yeah i mean i, mean, I think they i think that it really kind of felt like they had this idea of how they wanted to have this amnesia victim who would become who when she figures out what you know her previous life was she was an assassin mm-hmm. and then they pretty much just tried to write a story around just that instead yeah. of there wasn't anything it's not i mean if if you were to sum up this movie it would be woman has amnesia and gets her memory back and discovers she's an assassin and then must kick ass for whatever reason yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's not a whole lot to it other than that yeah but all that aside I still really like it. And like I said, I watched it. I, I mean, I haven't seen it in many, many years, but I think I did watch it like four or five times in the 90s. I want to say I had an opportunity in one of my college classes to write a paper and talk about this movie. And I don't know okay. if it was like the symbolism. Like, I think I was like looking at the symbolism of the relationship between um, Gina Davis and Samuel L. Jackson, perhaps. Again, I can't quote, I can't like say this with a ton of certainty, but I'm having like a strong sense because it was around, I think I saw this around the same time when I had different like ethnic studies classes or something. Was your, was, was the purpose of the paper to convince people to like this movie? No. <laughs> because it, that would have been a challenge. It probably would have been a challenge. <laughs> well, I think it was more. I think it was more just, you know, the the role of, you know, her being a white lady that needed saving, and the one ally that she actually had through the whole thing was Samuel L. Jackson's. Something gotcha. along those lines, I think, is what. So 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 Die Hard three. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, I, I I hadn't really made the Die Hard connection until watching it now because I wasn't really watching Die Hard in like the regular rotation that I have it in now. Back when I watched this movie, so I hadn't really connected the two. But I don't know. I think Gina Davis is great in it. I think she's a lot of fun. She's very funny. I think I've never seen her as a platinum blonde before, and I don't think she'll she's ever done it since. Um, she 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 wore that blonde look I think for a little while like mm. from 
around this movie and then after. Mm-hmm. I think she did. I mean, because she was blonde in A League of Their Own, too. Or reddish-haired blonde. Yeah. She, she was, she's, she, like, strawberry blonde. Uh, but, I mean, not yeah. platinum blonde. But I don't know. I just... Yeah. I, I really I really like her. And, um, again, you know, we're kind of on this theme of badass women because we talked about Terminator a couple, you know, a few weeks ago. And... I don't know. And Samuel Jackson is so great in it. And I like all the music. This is definitely a movie I had bought the soundtrack for. Um, I think, um, I don't think I'd ever heard that Santana song, that She's Not There Before, watching oh, this you had, movie. Oh, you hadn't heard that? I don't That's think I had. But, but it worked, you know, it was like in that scene when she like fully yeah. transforms into Charlie. She's like, oh, cut the hair, dye it blonde, put on a lot of black eyeshadow. Let's get this. She does. Let's go back to the old way of being. So, like I had said, I had never watched this movie before, mm-hmm. and I, I appreciate you letting me borrow the DVD so I didn't have to spend money on this movie, mm-hmm. <laughs> which it, because I, I'm glad I never did. But, I mean, I, I think that it, there was some there was some funny and some kind of cool things in the movie, but it seemed very much like, hey, let's take this from this movie and let's take this from this movie and let's piece it all together and we'll just make this action movie that had very little substance, but, you know, it had kind of a interesting kind of group of, of details that made it a movie. I don't know. But... Um, Gina Davis, I think they, she had some pretty good lines in it. Um, I think she she actually kind of pulls off being an action star pretty, mm-hmm. pretty well. But um, and then I I think my favorite character in this movie is Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. Um, only because, uh, you know, he just does a lot of great stuff in this movie, and he's actually in it a lot. It's not just Gina Davis by herself. He's in it a lot. Yeah. My only critique is it really just kind of felt like they tried to give him lines like he was was a similar character from what he was in Pulp Fiction and just put him in this movie. Oh, yeah, Um, they came out like two years apart. Yeah, but at the same time, I mean, it's kind kind of a mixture of you know, what he was in Die Hard 3, what he was in Pulp Fiction, and, um, but he's definitely my favorite character, because mm-hmm. he's also the one that is kind of the, I wouldn't say moral compass, but he's like the ba- the balance we get, because the whole time she's kind of going through her transformation, she's kind of like, I'm Charlie. Yeah. Char- that's who I was, and she, he, like, will consistently make sure to call her Sam, Sam or yeah. Samantha, because he feels like that's who she probably really is as a person and not just this assassin figure. And she learns that she has that too, because she can't let her daughter die. Like she's going to protect her kid, even though she initially was mad. Like she chose to have the kid, not me. No one asked me. I mean, well, and and that's kind of the, the whole kid aspect of this movie is really the, that ends up being the whole driving force to kind of watch it because, mm. you know, you see her in this nice relationship she has with her daughter and she immediately at the beginning of the movie, you find out like she woke up 
you know, from, you know, with amnesia pregnant, you know, and that's the only, that and a, and a key she had that, you know, we find out later was for a safety deposit box that mm-hmm. had a ton of money. Those are the only things she had on her, you know, when she was found and got her memory or had this, you know, had lost her memory. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't for this kid being in this movie, I don't know how invested I would be in the plot. Uh, you know, the whole espionage kind of plot, you know, the spyness of it. Yeah. I mean... Well, the kid is what anchors the movie, because otherwise, as soon as she gets the key back, once she retrieves the key, which is maybe two-thirds the way through, mm-hmm. she the movie would have ended. You know, she would have yeah. gone to the safety deposit box, gotten all the money, gotten her passports with fake IDs. Yeah. And left, but then she... And she has that opportunity. When she's at the house, she takes out the the right, um, the right sniper rifle. Is that what that yeah. is with the... With the, um, the scope. With the scope. And looks to see, should she just kill her kid and her boyfriend, you know, from oh, a I distance? Did, I never... I didn't think she was doing that, though. I thought it was more just... That was the... She just happened to have that with a magnifier on it. I don't think she had to... She was really debating whether to assassinate a child or not. Well, (laughs) she looks at it a few times. And a a part of me thinks, like... Or maybe she's just looking at her like, this is my last... I just think that that's you being kind of sinister. Oh. I think that's... Sorry. You being sinister there, shooting a child like that. Well, (laughs) anyways, it, it was... Once once her daughter was kidnapped, yeah. then that derailed her escape plan. And, right. um, yeah, I don't know. I I enjoy it. Again, I watched it when it came. I probably saw it in the theater. Um, I think you did, because I, I vaguely remember you, like, coming back from the movie, like, all jazzed about it and me being like, really? <laughs> But the the other thing with the kid is at the end scene when the kid is kind of locked in the little toolbox mm-hmm. cage of the truck and then the truck crashes, there's no way she survives that. Well, I mean, yeah. th- again, there are so many, like, action sequences well, in this movie where you're just like, this is too unbelievable. Well, he, like, well Tim, Tim to where it's not To where it's not even, to where it's not even, like, it's... When when action movies are so far fetched, you basically have to either commit to laughing at them or realize that you just can't take the movie seriously. And I think that watching this movie, especially with kind of the tone that a lot of it has, you almost have to like when you, you know, I I keep harping back to like Die Hard or like Lethal Weapon or those kinds of movies because that's kind of the vibe it has. Well, and um, those are those are some of the best action movies that have ever ever been made. So, but you know, there's there's certain aspects of it. Like when you watch it for the first time, you're almost like, oh my god, are they going to get? You know, how's this going to yeah. turn out? I want to know. Whereas this m- movie, there's so many things that are just so unbelievable that you almost want to go into this movie thinking it's almost funny, and then even some of the music in it kind of light makes it like a mm-hmm. little lighter you mean when so, he sings to himself like we do all the time oh my god that was great that again samuel jackson that's <laughs> character but, I, I actually um, told jack i said he's gonna pick samuel jackson because samuel jackson makes up silly songs about what he does all day just like matt and i do that's n- that's not why but that is a good reason <laughs> but um <laughs> it's just that 
my my point is is just that I, I probably would have had more fun watching this movie if I would have committed to the idea of it being completely asinine from the beginning and not in the same way I feel about like Nicolas Cage movies because it's just annoying having to watch Nicolas Cage and you know want to laugh at at those movies but I and but then again I kind of feel like it's doing it a disservice because here you've got you know again at the in the you know in the mid 90s you still have you know that's kind of like the coming of age like you had you had like princess leia and ellen ripley who were like kind of badass kind of stars in their in their films but you didn't have that consistently and i felt like in the 90s you started seeing a little more of that and then in like the 2000s you have like charlie theron angelina jolie even scarlett johansson like can continuously trinity action yeah but just being in trinity who do you mean by trinity from the matrix you know what? She was only really in those movies, though. I mean, like... She's in Scarlett three of them. Yeah, but Scarlett Johansson was in, like, Lucy, and she plays Black Widow, yeah. and and the other characters that are more action-oriented. Yeah. Whereas when this movie came out, I mean, you had a little bit on TV. You had, like, um, La Femme Nikita on TV, where, you, you know, it's really kind of the beginning of seeing a lot more female-driven yeah. action stars, which is great. Buffy but the Vampire Slayer, let's not Buffy, diss that. Buffy's, Buffy's another one. Um, so I almost kind of feel like it's doing it a disservice that, like, if I were just to go into this movie wanting to laugh at it, because <laughs> I, I want to, like, walk out and be like... Yeah, she's she's gonna kick some ass in this movie. This is gonna be awesome, and I kind of just didn't really. You get didn't that expect vibe that. Once it's revealed that she's an assassin, it didn't like when she's chopping those vegetables. No, 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 no. I, and she's I'm, clearly not a chef. Yeah, and, Chefs and I do think that. that's I think that's the other thing too. Like some of the, you know, her getting her memory back stuff. I felt like could have been cut out and they probably could have made this movie a half an hour shorter and that would have been a little better. But I know you love amnesia. So I know like all the little things about like, <laughs> like the chopping her, the vegetables and all the little things about her getting her memory back are probably some of your favorite scenes because it's like, Oh my God, see this happened. Or like the whole like dream sequence when she's looking at herself in the mirror. And then all of a sudden it's, it's like her older self. And I mean, just things like that. You were probably like all giggly and interested in that. Whereas I'm just kind of like, you know, some of this could have just cut right back and it could have been like she gets in the car accident and then gets her entire memory back. And then like the action starts instead of, you know, every little thing of I might know this guy. Hey, let's follow this postcard. Oh, this guy on the postcard. He could have been my lover. Maybe he's the father of my baby. No, he was actually a person I was supposed to assassinate. <laughs> so the other thing I'll say about this movie was, you know, it has both David Morris. He's you know, not not her fiancé, who she accidentally thinks it's her fiancé, but also Brian Cox. And, and hello, oh, yeah. Brian Cox isn't evil. Like, one of the few movies where he's actually not an evil person. He's usually a bad guy in practically everything. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I almost want to say Samantha Kane. Like, Gina Davis as Samantha Kane was my favorite character. Oh, yeah. 
I could see you saying that. I liked her she, a lot. But I mean, I, I, I like Charlie too. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I like it. This movie's fun. I, I, I think you, she, I, you don't need to like invest a ton of mental energy into this movie. I mean, it is a no. popcorn action movie. You can just yeah, no, no, I chill agree. out and like have it on and you know. I mean, I it's was not, trust me. I'm not. I'm not angry at this movie or or anything. I mean, I'm glad that I've now seen it, so I yeah. can, you know. And it's and it doesn't have like tons of deep dialogue where you're really trying to like fi- like figure out some really complicated puzzle. I mean, it's not trying to do that whatsoever. I mean, it's no. pretty cut and dry. And again, Samuel L. Jackson has a lot of funny dialogue. And yeah. I mean, he really is like the source of humor, but she's also so funny. So it's very her her humor is kind of subtle, and it's pretty it's pretty yeah. good though. Like like after she does her transformation, and she's trying she's going to change Samuel Jackson's bandage, and she flashes him to distract yeah. him. Yeah, and then he's like like the look on his face, and then she just rips the bandaid off, like stuff like that is hilarious. But my oh, fa- my favorite oh, line you've done you've done that you've done that to rip off a bandaid for somebody no. No, no, I'm t- I want to tell you my favorite line in the whole movie, and I'd forgotten about it until watching it. It's towards the very, very end. Samuel L. Jackson has woken up. He's, you know, in the car. He drives out of the truck, and he goes to pick them up to save them. And right, you know, right before the truck explodes, you know, they're driving towards the border. Then the truck explodes, and then er- their car kind of, like, starts to go on turbo speed but then all these cars are falling from the sky and her daughter turns to Samuel Jackson and says don't hit the cars don't hit the cars <laughs> and he kind of looks at her like, like Duh. I know I know bitch <laughs> I always have laughed so hard at that line like duh I mean like he's trying to hit them oh my god I just again cracked silliness so of this, hard of this movie yeah, yeah that's alright Anyways. So, but yeah, what was your favorite scene? So is that your favorite scene? Um I kind of like the water torture scene as as things are really coming back to her. I also really like um the train station scene. Yeah. Cuz that's, you know, obviously when all the you know, it's bef- it's it's after one-eyed Jack had shown up at her house and attacked um, I don't know. I think I probably the water torture scene and is my first like big because that's really when it all has flooded back and she had wiggled her hands out of the ropes and was able to get the gun and then, you know. One of my I think my favorite scene is probably that scene when after she saves Samuel Jackson and they're in the hotel room and she's done the, the transformation and he's like, who the hell are you? Yeah. And they're like that whole kind of scene. And then, um, I think one of my favorite lines of Samuel Jackson's that cracked me up. Um, there's a, there's a few of them, but, um, he's kind of got this reputation of being, um, like not a great person in the sense of, yeah. you know, he's a private investigator, but he's done some jail time. Yeah. He's a kind of, he's, He's got a hustle going yeah. on, and at the end, when he's being interviewed by, by, um, Larry King, he, and he's like, "I always try to be frank and earnest with women." In New York, my name is Frank, and in Chicago, I'm Ernest. Yeah. That was, that was pretty funny. Yeah, Jack thinks that they used a lot of the footage of Samuel Jackson from this movie for the de aging that was done in 
Captain Marvel. Maybe. I mean, there's... Because it's, it's they, filmed at the right time. But they had... I think he had... Because he had facial hair through all this movie, and I don't believe he had his traditional Nick Fury goatee in Captain Marvel. Hmm. So that might have been kind of hard. Well, he certainly had different... Less facial hair than he did as, does as Julius. Right, right. But um, one thing I want... There's two things I wanted to mention that I had noted down. I didn't take a lot of notes for this one. Um, Once again, Alan Silvestri doing the score. Mm. I don't know if you noticed that. Another Alan Silvestri movie. Um, But I was thinking about it. And, you know, the daughter kind of has this very important role where she's like the victim. And then, you know, the daughter lives at the end of the movie. They're on this, this farm or something like that. I could really see them making, like, a spinoff or, like, sequel to this movie or, like, redoing this movie, but using the daughter. And, like, you could still use Gina Davis yeah. as, like, the person who trains her and everything like that. But um, I think she's still an actress, the kid. She, I believe she is. But I thought I was thinking about, like, while I'm watching it, I'm like, am I more interested in this daughter than I am any other character in this? Maybe they should just make a spinoff movie with her as the, the spy or, or whatever, but just something, just throwing that out there. Give Hollywood a call, Matt, send, send them your pitch. I'll pass because <laughs> they're not doing anything right now. So they're, they're in a lot of development right now. Give Hollywood a break. I think, I think, Next year, you're going to see a flourish of animated movies because... Could be. They, can, they could still do that. You, you can know. do voiceover from home. Yep. We all know how easy it is to record from home now. It's pretty easy. You know, you can use this microphone here that we got for <laughs> a whopping $25. <laughs> oh, so. Well, well I, I'm glad that you aren't, like, cursing me out for picking this movie. I honestly, I don't know if it's a matter of just not having the energy to do that or if it actually wasn't that bad. I would like I think to hope just that you're getting over doing that and just appreciating that it's just a movie. It, it's not. It, it, let, let's just say that I don't really need to watch this movie again. Understood. But but it there it, it, it there were parts of it that were hard to watch yeah, too. That's so, fine. but I will not, I won't, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to put the bunny in the box on this movie. Let's just, let's, let's say that. All right. All right. Why don't we move over to Jurassic park? Uh, I will happily move on to Jurassic park. I don't think I want to go there. That sounds for the, for, I mean, just for the simple fact that it's on an Island and then I'll have to be trapped on an Island. I don't think I want to do that. But no. also dinosaurs. <laughs> fun to fun to see in pictures. Pretty sure I don't want to be around them. So Jurassic Park is this huge phenomenon. There's there's a ride, <laughs> you know, it's it's huge. There's been you know Five or you know five movies. A sixth one was supposed to come out, I believe, this year. Or I guess it's coming out next year. Um, Dominion and um, you know I grew up really liking dinosaurs, like most kids oh, do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, to the to the point where you know I didn't have a lot. I don't remember having a ton of dinosaur toys because 
dinosaur toys are very readily available nowadays, as I know, because I have a five-year-old who loves dinosaurs. <laughs> but, like, um, I remember, like, mom used to, like, make me dinosaur, like, figurines. Like, she'd do, like, ceramic figurines that she would paint of dinosaurs. So I had, like, all these, like, ceramic dinosaurs up. And she made me, like, a, a shirt, like a T-shirt that she painted that was kind of cool. And I was just totally into dinosaurs, you know, like I said, like a lot of kids are. So when I heard that they were making this movie... I was pretty I was kind of excited and it's based on a book by Michael Crichton who has done had a lot of his movies turned in or books turned into a movies but um I did something very out of character um for myself is I actually read the book whoa. before the movie whoa so you <laughs> I, didn't see I mean, did you see it in the theater I saw it in the theater opening day opening day was I believe my last day of school going in from junior high to high school. Okay. So it was the last day of school. We got out of school and me and my friends walked down to the theater and saw the movie at the, at the I think theater. it was a festival. It was a- at, it was at, it was at festival. A- so Amy we, and I saw it in the theater. So, um, you know, we're in this packed crowd, you know, and watching this movie and, like I said, I had read the book, so I pretty much knew the story. And I wasn't sitting there trying to, like, nitpick, like, all the differences in mm-hmm. it. I just remember, like, being so amazed by the visuals in it. You know, this was one of those first movies that really used CGI mm. to, like, you know, Terminator 2 used it to make the uh, the T-1000 but this one, you know, with the animals, really was pushing the envelope. Yeah. So I was, you know, pretty psyched to go see this movie. You know, they because of the technology, because of just having known the story and being kind of, you know, excited about this whole idea of cloning and going having, like, a zoo that is, like, full of dinosaurs and everything like that. I was really kind of interested in seeing how this was going to turn out um, on the screen. It did not disappoint. I was very... Yeah. I was... I just really liked this movie. Um, it's very suspenseful. It's suspense... It has action. It has great visuals. It's got, you know, kind of a you know, a family kind of oriented thing. I mean, it's directed by Steven Spielberg. It has a lot of Spielberg cliches in it. You know, kids, kids are a big thing for him. He all, it always seems like there's some sort of child in, in one of his movies. Um, especially early on, you got ET, you got poltergeist, uh, poltergeist, close encounters, you know, even the second Indiana Jones, I mean, there's kids in, in a lot of his stuff. Um, there's a couple other things that he does that I'll get to later that are kind of crazy. But anyway, what is what? So what is this movie about? Long story short, rich old white guy figures out how to bring, you know, make dinosaurs using clone cloning technology and makes a zoo full of dinosaurs. But 
he can't open the park until the insurance company signs off on it and all the lawyers get all their, you know, I's dotted and T's crossed. So he goes to the professionals. He goes to Dr. Grant, played by Sam Neill. He goes to a paleobotanist named Ellie Sattler, played by Laura Dern, the great Laura Dern. Malcolm, played by Jeff Goldblum. And he basically, and they're basically like, why are we here? And all of a sudden they see that there's dinosaurs. They see how they're made, and they start questioning, is this really the best thing to do? You know, is it really make sense to, to do that? So there's this very kind of interesting debate happening from the very beginning of the movie of whether they should even fucking do this at all. Can, and, can I interject one thing real quick? Yeah. They could have chosen to just have veggie-sauruses and just totally bypass having carnivore dinosaurs. I would agree with you, but there's no way for them to know what kind of dinosaur they were going to make until it hatched. And then you have the debate of, oh my god, that dinosaur is too scary. Should we just kill this tiny baby egg? Yes. Also... You don't have a movie otherwise. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> but but and then but then again you also have the debate of, you know, these dino I mean, there's a lot of things that you can debate about the science and the morality <laughs> of this movie. For example, they have dinosaurs living together that based on actual science and history that we figured out did not were not on the planet Earth at the same time. Mm. You know. You know, there's 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 that aspect of it. And and we're not talking like, oh, one year this one was there and then the next year the other one was there. We're talking like millions of years in difference of when these dinosaurs would have been together. <laughs> but one thing that is very clear is that the humans and the dinosaurs should not be together, which is why it drives me crazy whenever I see things where dinosaurs and humans are living together because that never happened. Oh, and, and then, I digress. And then in like later movies, how Chris Pratt thinks he can be like the dinosaur whisperer and like calm Blue down. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I I would I would I would give you this. Considering we talked about the implausibility of certain things in action movies, I mean, from the very get-go, you have to let go of the idea of certain things that are logical in this movie because you're already putting dinosaurs together with with humans. Mm-hmm. But, but one of the big debates also that this movie brings up is the idea of cloning mm-hmm. and, you know, whether... The morality around cloning, too. I mean, and that's a real life thing. I mean, people don't think that we should should be pursuing anything involving cloning in 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 the world either. So there were arguments at one point that people who had fertility challenges should not have any kind of science intervening to help with fertility because you're messing with with biology. And if you can't naturally have kids, tough noogies. But again, good thing that. Not ever. Anyways, totally another debate. I think that I think that this whole idea of science intervening is probably the big one of the biggest ongoing debates between, you know, 
people who believe in science and people who don't. Hmm. <laughs> what? Science is important? Um, if you want to, I guess you have to just commit your, you know, some sort of disbelief or something. I don't understand. One's based on facts, so. Yeah. So, you know, they're they're trying to have a discussion with Mr. Hammond, the rich white guy who fig- figured out that he could do this, played by Richard Attenborough. In order to see the viability of this park, they have to go out and see the park. But who better to go see this park with other than, you know, other than Mr. Hammond's grandchildren? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I why mean, not? So look, why not just because the park's for kids? But there's there's another reason why, and I did not really catch on to this. And it's one of the few, and it's one of the connections that this movie has with Jurassic World is in a very subtle scene when, at the very beginning of the movie when you're going to see um, how they're mining for the amber to get the blood from the mosquitoes. Mm-hmm. One thing that they that is kind of offhand mentioned by one of the lawyers is how Mr. Hammond's daughter is getting a divorce. Oh, I and didn't that even is, catch that. It, you don't, it's very subtle. And that is one of the basic premises that's going on in Jurassic World. Why the two kids in Jurassic World are going to Jurassic World to hang out with Bryce Dallas Howard's character is because their parents, her sister, is getting a divorce. And it's a way to keep the kids away while they're going through the legal stuff for the divorce. And I think that is the reason why Hammond's grandchildren are are basically are really there. You know, they're really kind of there to so he can watch after them while their parents are going through their Could marital be. troubles. Or also he just wanted to show it off before like he wanted to show it off to the kids during the soft launch. Oh yeah, yeah. Make sure the kids weren't going to be too scared. Yeah. Or well, while there's anything. while they had a list of literally of over 150 problems that still needed to be resolved. So while they're on their their little excursion, we meet one of the best characters in this movie, Samuel Jackson's character Arnold, <laughs> who is one of the tech people to get the park running, and he manages. Everyone knows him as Newman, but Wayne Knight plays Dennis Nedry, Mm. who has a little subplot in this movie where he's the computer programmer that is programming everything at Jurassic Park, but he feels like he's not getting paid what he's worth. He's disgruntled. So he gets hired by another company to steal dinosaur embryos. And because of his plan, he turns he sabotages off, the he sabotages park. the park and turns off all the safety features while the kids and Dr. Grant and Dr. Malcolm are, you know, checking out the park. And now all the dinosaurs are, are running around free. Yeah. Which ends up kind of being the main premise of this movie where Sam Neill, who we learn does, you know, Dr. Grant does not really like children is Mm -hmm. now stuck with two kids trying to get back to the, the main office of the park and get the hell off this Island. Yeah. 
Um, and that's pretty much the movie. Yeah. You know, it's it's kind of a it's it's suspenseful in the sake that, you know, the dinosaurs are scary and you're wondering if they're going to get caught. Um, you know, before this movie came out, I really hadn't heard of Velociraptors. So, <laughs> you know, that's what really kind of exploded raptors into the vernacular of dinosaurs you know for a lot of people also the yes. reason why the toronto raptors are named the raptors was because of exactly Park. exactly yeah velociraptors they are some nasty little <clears throat> assholes yeah but um so yeah i just you know i was really impressed by the look of the dinosaurs. Now, some of the dinosaurs are actually like models that they built. Like even the T Rex, they built the giant T Rex mm. to do some of it, and especially the head. They had to do that with the head. Mm. Um, and then, like the, I think the Triceratops, they built the the one that's sick, that's breathing. They built that. But interesting story. You know, when they first made this movie, they thought they were going to do it all with like claymation kind mm. of stuff. And um, some of the people that, like, worked on Star Wars were working on it. And then they realized, well, we could probably just do this with computers. And they were like, what? Computers? Computer graphics? So what they actually did was they used the stop motion um, puppeteers and stuff to to actually do the the movements for the dinosaurs. And then they just put that information into the computer and that's how they got the movement mm. for the dinosaurs. That's so, cool. so, that, so from a technological standpoint, there was a lot of pretty cool stuff going on, but, um, just kind of going through some of my notes. I mean, one of the big lines from this movie is from Dr. Malcolm and how life finds a way. Yeah. You know, that's, that's one of them. And that that's called part of his whole kind of theory of, you know, you can't control certain things. You know, there's chaos is chaos theory is his his specialty. So why they brought him along, I have no idea. One of my favorite but, lines is Tim and we're back in the car. Yeah. And we're back in the car. Oh, and also, we spared no expense. That's Mr. Hammond's big like line throughout the whole movie. Like, oh, yeah, we've got this and we got that and we're doing all of this. You know, we spared no expense, mm-hmm. you know. But um, or Sam Jackson, my favorite line from Samuel Jackson is, uh, you know, he's pissed off at Nedry for, you know, sabotaging yeah. the park. And he goes over to his desk and his desk is a total mess. And he's just like looking at. He tries to type in the password, and it's got, like, all this fancy graphics, like, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh, you didn't say the magic word. And he just goes, please, I hate this hacker crap. You know, stuff like that. There's a lot of fun things in this movie. Um, What's the other? Let me just go through my notes, but what were you going to say? I was going to say that you already mentioned this, so I don't feel like I'm outing anybody, but your son... My nephew, you know, the king of all dinosaurs. I've never met anyone who knows more about dinosaurs than my nephew. And he and I have talked about Brachiosauruses for years. And oh, yeah. Because I honestly, I don't know a ton about dinosaurs. It's never been something I've had a lot of interest in. Um, I know a few of the basics. And I always just assumed a brontosaurus 
was a brontosaurus and there wasn't anything similar to it, but he taught me a long time ago that, no, this other one that looks just like him, but's bigger, is a brachiosaurus. And the big, the big difference, other than the size, is that he's got a crest. And mm-hmm. when this when they end up having all these big scenes with the brachiosauruses, I was like, I'm, I'm dying. I'm like, this is so great. I loved, um, you know, cause it's a, uh, herbivore. So it was not gonna eat the girl. Cause that's, she'd already had the horrible traumatic event with a T-Rex. And so she was very afraid. But when, um, the brachiosaurus was eating all the leaves in the tree that they were sitting in and, yeah. Then uh, when her brother, who's like a little dinosaur know-it-all, said, yeah, you know, I think she might have a cold. And then, of course, the bronis- the brachiosaurus sneezes on her. and I just, I got a real, real big kick out of that scene. It's not my favorite scene, but I loved it so much because I was like, me and my little guy, me and my nephew hanging out, talking about brachiosauruses. You know, Timmy, little Timmy. My has- favorite character. Well, and I was just going to say, he's got, a, you know, he's definitely that representation of the young kid who loves dinosaurs. And um, after the trauma mm. that, you know, he's gone through, Timmy grows up and he's forgotten about dinosaurs. And joins then a band. He, well, first he helps create Facebook. In oh, I don't remember network. him. I haven't seen that. He's, oh, I'm, no, Dust, I've seen it, but du- I don't remember him in it. He's Dustin Moskowitz in fa- in and Social Network, and then he becomes John Deacon in Queen. Yeah, <laughs> you know, in yep. the in Bohemian Rhapsody. He's a great uh, actor. He is such a funny, great. I haven't seen. He's I don't a great he's kid done actor. Oh yeah. Um. So yeah, there, there 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 is one scene though. There, I mean. I was going to kind of get into some of my little nitpicks, my Spielbergian nitpicks. Um, but go ahead. What were you going to say? I was just going to say he's my he's my favorite character. But special shout out to Jeff Goldblum being amazing in this movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love him a lot. This, uh, this is my favorite he... Jeff. This is my favorite Jeff Goldblum role. Oh, really? This okay. is my favorite. one. OK, he, he doesn't have I mean, all that much screen time when you think about it. I mean, he's got maybe 10, 15 minutes screen time um, because he ends up getting injured during the T-Rex scene. Mm-hmm. And then he's kind of laid up for the rest of the movie, but he is so damn funny. And the shot of him when they get to the emergency bunker and he's like all laid out with like his shirt all open. I cracked up so hard. I'm like, this is they like have, his Burt Reynolds picture here. They have Funko pops of him <laughs> in that pose. They do. I mean, that is a famous so, pose. So yeah. funny. Um, so you're going to nitpick on Timmy, even though I've just I just said how much I like him. It's not a nitpick on Timmy. It's a nitpick on Spielberg. Okay. Because so one scene that involves Tim that bugs the crap out of me is the fence scene. And um, <laughs> when you were yeah. watching it, you had sent me a video of it. Yeah. But... Um, <laughs> For another reason. Yeah. But we'll, we'll clearly. Review. Let's, can we tell them why I sent it? Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Um, listeners, our dad is is king of sarcasm, but his sarcasm is so totally dry. To this day, I'm still confused by it. I don't, I'm not very fluent in our dad's sarcasm. 
and the scene and, and where Nancy, Nancy also does not like being picked on or deceived in certain ways yeah. because she doesn't find it entertaining. And no. part of that might be that she just doesn't get the sarcasm. Yeah. Well, and anyways, so the scene where <laughs> the power is out and Laura Dern is trying to restore power and Sam Neill and the kids are reach the part where they need to climb the fence he throws the stick at the fence to see if it's still um, electri- electrified. Is that the right word? Yes. yes. Um, and it doesn't, but then he goes to hold it, and then he, like, shakes it like he's getting electrocuted. And the girl screams because she's like me. She doesn't think it's funny. Um, and he turns around and smiles like, ha, ha, ha. I, I sent and Tim, and, and Tim even goes, he's like, oh, that was great. Yeah. So, I, so I, great. I had to pause and record that and send it to Matt and say, yeah, this, if our dad was in this movie... Here he here would be his character. Yeah. Anyways. But continue. in that scene, well, in that scene, when they show the fence, the the wires are so wide that clearly Timmy could just crawl right through it. Maybe. There's no reason. for, And that's a, and, and, and it's like that's just bad movie making. I mean, you make it. I mean, he's climbing up it and you're looking at it like, dude, just crawl through. That's just bad yeah. movie making. But we have to have the suspense of him going up the whole thing and then getting scared and then Sam Neill having to go get him and then him getting electrocuted. And, yeah. you know, yeah. Tim, the, the Tim, the human toast. Yeah. But um, there's that scene. And then a scene that has bugged me since I first saw this movie. It better not be my favorite scene. It's the T-Rex scene. OK, that's not it. And. The thing that bothers me about the T-Rex scene is this. When we first see the T-Rex cage area, the little habitat for the T-Rex, they have a goat come out mm-hmm. on this platform mm-hmm. with the idea that the T-Rex it will just kind of walk over to it and then get the goat, yeah. right? So they've kind of established at that point with the very high fence as well that that's kind of all the same ground level. And then after the T-Rex has escaped and is torturing them with the car and is about to push the car, you know, towards the cage, all of a sudden it's a giant cliff. Like it's a huge cliff and stuff like inconsistencies like that would drive me, my wife, most people crazy. But Spielberg doesn't care. Mm-hmm. He has admitted that he doesn't care. If it's good oh. for the movie and for the scene, he will just do it anyway. And stuff like that drives me fucking crazy. And it's like, why all of a sudden is there a cliff there? There's never well, that doesn't make any sense. But I mean they established that the island was art had like a very kind of hilly you know, landscape. I mean, you had to take the helicopter was, to descend. But they had, down already, into but they had it. already shown yeah. that it was ground level, and then all of a sudden, it's not ground yeah, level. It's dumb. It doesn't make sense. That's dumb. So that part drives me crazy. Okay, um, go ahead. My favorite scene is mm-hmm. the kitchen with the raptors and the kids. Oh yeah, that's a great. That's probably that's great the scene I've remembered the most because I've probably only seen this movie three times. Um, once in the theater sometime after that. And then of course now, um, but yeah, I think the kitchen is my favorite scene, especially because it starts with Sam Neill and Laura Dern are in one room. They say, well, as long as they haven't figured out how to open doors yet. And then right. Open the the door. door, And then, 
My my wife and I use that line all the time because we have handles in our house, and there's been times where we've noticed like our cats opening the door. No. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So we were always like, as long as they can't open doors, and awesome. we just laugh at each other. Um, just a few more things I want to mention. Um, here we have another movie where the company puts mm. profits before morals and science, just like an alien. Almighty dollar, you know, much more impar- important than whether we should even fucking do it at all. Mm-hmm. Also, I want to ma- mention that the one of the characters who's like the hunter guy mm-hmm. um, who h- helps kind of who who I'm assuming Owen's character is kind of based on except Owen a little is bit stupid well he's kind of goofy yeah but anyway he was the, um, he was the velociraptor man like he clearly yeah. was the most cautious and worried about the velociraptor right so so he mentions at one point when the dinosaurs have started to escape and the, and um, Laura Dern and, and Dr. Malcolm have come back, they, he kind of mentions that there's this um, fail safe they have called the lysine contingency, where if they deny the dinosaurs lysine or if they give them lysine or deny it to them or whatever it is, that it'll kill all the dinosaurs. Mm. So they're having this debate of do we reboot the system or do we just kill all the dinosaurs? And Mr. Hammond is basically like, that's out of the question. Let's reboot the system. I'm like, your grandkids are out there. (laughs) But again, along those same lines of putting profits in everything before morals. I will will argue for Hammond. It's not, it wasn't just a matter of Profits. It was like his life's work, like his greatest life's work. He was gonna have to decide to torture it all. Which at yeah. the end, when they finally escape, he finally agrees that's the right thing to do. I mean, once once everybody has gotten out of the kitchen and back in like that main entryway with the with the you know the skeletons all put together and then it's the raptors versus the t-rex and then after the t-rex has eaten both the raptors he like tears through and breaks all the skeleton bones and then the sign about when dinosaurs ruled the world starts to fall down and he's all roaring and you know after that and you know hammond's got got the jeep ready uh he's like yeah i'm not gonna i'm ready to tank it too she can't well but so so one thing that's that you know i only read the book that one time <laughs> and i don't remember a lot of it but i'm pretty sure that one difference between the movie and the book is i'm pretty sure at the end of the book they torch the island mm. or they imply that they're going to bomb and torch mm. the island which they don't do in this movie and if they, because they didn't do that they opened it up for a million sequels so oh well in in the sh- in the can of shaving cream had fallen and gotten buried in the mud which yeah, is that, that doesn't do anything so that, that wasn't foreshadowing anything. that those no. embryos are going to be found and cuz i never watched the sequels except the new one with chris pratt okay so um really quickly um the second one the Jurassic Park the Lost World um that one's good I like that one um that one is the return of Jeff Goldblum as the main character mm. 
and him being like, why the hell are we doing this? And his love interest, who is into into dinosaurs and stuff, goes to the to the other island because you decide that you find out there's another island, mm. and um, she's played by Julianne Moore. Okay, so I, 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 remember I would I would I would check that one out. Okay, the third one, Sam Neill returns and. He gets hired as a dinosaur expert to go to the island because um, some parents lost their kid on a parachuting accident that landed there. And that one is basically just kind of a search and rescue kind of movie. Oh, and there's dinosaurs. And it's not great. Um, There's some bad CGI in that one, which is ironic because it came out later. Yeah. Um, I like... I I like Lost World. It it's got a couple cheese factor things in it, but I really like Lost World. It's it's pretty good. Is, is it better than I mean not Lost World. Jurassic World. I'm sorry. Jurassic World. Um is it better than Lost World? I don't know. There's some cool things in it. Fallen Kingdom, the the most recent one that had come out. It it opens up a, a, a lot more kind of moral questions. Oh, that's right. There and, was another one after that. Yeah. I never saw it. And um, it's... I, I wasn't that impressed with mm. it. It might be better than the third one, but I don't know. Um, Mulder's got opinions about it. Mulder's got... got Podcast's got opinions. Um, a couple... Just a few more things I want to point out. Um... Again, in a 90s movie, because showing um, on computers people actually doing what they actually do on computers, which is type code and like stuff like that to hack stuff, because they that is not visually exciting. They have this very cheesy kind of like flying through a computer kind of thing to, to turn on the systems that Lex does at one point. And I just kind of laugh at that. I'm like computers are not like this it's just a device that hollywood uses (laughs) and then lastly i want to talk about laura dern laura dern in this movie is great and i just think she kicks ass in this movie in a different way but i think that she's another strong female character Mm -hmm. that doesn't fall into a lot of uh stereotypes um, and she has one of my favorite lines, and I, I just really think that it's, um, it's great. Is before they go to the um, electric bunker, and they're in, they're in the safety bunker, right? And and Hammond and them, they're going. They've got the plans, and they're getting their walkie talkies, and he's just kind of like, well. You know, I should go because you're a and she just says, you know, we can have a discussion on sexism and survival situations later. (laughs) And I just love that idea of like sexism in survival situations (laughs) is great. I mean, she probably, you know, foreshadowed the whole Ellen Ripley situation there because Mm. none of that mattered, you know. Yeah. So I thought I thought I just love that line. Her. I got a little tired of her nagging Sam Neill to... About kids? Yeah, that got annoying. 
I just thought it was her way of being able to nitpick at him because he knew that that what like she, you know, they were kind of in a relationship. They didn't really like it didn't really kind of seem like a romantic, like a very romantic relationship. No, they were. They had a relationship. Um, Maybe it was like. I don't know if it was they were colleagues or she was a former student or what, tells, what the situation was. He tells, he Jeff tells Malcolm. Yeah. He's like, no, she, yeah, we're together. But, yeah. But um, she jumps into his arms when they reunited. Come on. Well, she had also just been chased by velociraptors. I mean, <laughs> I don't know if that she needed comfort and her leg was hurt. She had an owie. She had an owie. So. But, so uh, who was your favorite <clears throat> character? My favorite character in this movie, um, it's probably Sam Neill's character. I just you, you're kind of following him throughout the movie. I mean, I like I like Tim, and I like I like the whole uh, philosophy that that Jeff Goldblum's character um, brings to it. You know this. His favorite line of "You were so focused on whether you could do it that you weren't thinking about whether you should." Mm-hmm. And yep. um, I thought, I think that that's one of those things. Like when I, I think of that, like when uh, people talk about um, AI and and artificial mm. intelligence and how that's kind of like, especially like the last five years and, mm-hmm. and still going on now, like that's like this huge thing. And I, part of me is like, did we not learn anything from the Terminator movies? Come on. I mean, do or you, the matrix. Do you, do you really want to have an Alexa or a listening device in your house, listening to everything you're saying all the time? You know what? I kind of feel like those devices have parameters still that are a little separate to where they're not, they're not controlling whether, you know, a bomb is being dropped or not. So, again... I'm, I'm it, sorry, Matt. I can't do that for you. <laughs> exactly. But um, this whole... Again, you were so worried, you know, thinking about whether you could. You weren't thinking about whether you should. Yeah. So... But, anyway, um, favorite scene in this movie... I The T-Rex scene is great, just for a lot of reasons. But I like the scene in the... Uh, in the electrical room, that whole scene with like when Laura Dern and the hunter guy go out and then he's just like, we're being hunted. Yeah. We don't see him. There. We don't see him get killed, but we know oh, he, gets he gets killed. killed. Yeah. We he know he killed. does, but he we don't killed. see him get killed. Yeah. That scene's great. I mean, I just, I just really enjoy this movie again. I could, I could stop and watch this movie anytime. And I've tried, we've tried to watch it with um, my son he really likes it until it gets. I mean, there's some very intense scenes. Like, he yeah. can, as soon as the T, he can watch it up until the T Rex scene, and then once the T Rex scene happens, he's done. He's just like, "Yep, no, it's kind of <laughs> it's too scary. I don't want this. I like my I like my cute cartoon T Rex. I don't need real T Rex now." You know and, what? And you unfortunately, should, you, there's you some should, other there's some should, other scenes that he should that he should see after that. I think he needs should, to see the Brachiosaurus. See them sitting in the yeah. tree feeding the Brachiosaurus. Well, one thing I told my wife um, 
when my son was getting really into dinosaurs because we wanted to show him this movie and I'm just like I don't know he's not he's not gonna be into this I wish that like there was like a super cut of all five movies where it was just like all the nice dinosaur scenes <laughs> so I could show him and be like see all this cool stuff that's going on you don't have to see them eating the people right now but but then am I being a hypocrite by not making him understand that humans and dinosaurs should not be living together. I mean, well, I don't think I there's any real threat of that ever going ever happening. I would hope not. Yeah. I would hope not. So, but anyway, I I've seen this movie 10 times and my wife and I have like a great connection with this movie. She loves this movie and um they actually re-released this movie um with one of those modified 3D kind of versions. Mm-hmm. Um I can't remember what year it was, um, maybe 10 years ago. And it actually was really good. Hmm. I mean, I, I enjoyed it. I put the 3D glasses on. The scene when the T-Rex is kind of coming at you when they're in oh. the car, oh. that was great. That looked, I mean, the, how they modified that to be 3D looked amazing. Hmm. So, yeah, it's a great movie. <laughs> I really enjoy it. Love dinosaurs. I've had this whole kind of dinosaur renaissance now that my son is is oh into dinosaurs. Listeners, our, my nephew has, in the various sizes, you know, tiny little toys up to bigger toys. I'd say he's probably got, like, what, a good 100, 200 dinosaur toys of some kind? I don't know. He's, I don't know. He, this, he, this kid he, he, loves great. dinosaurs so He knows their much. names. He knows all this stuff about him. I read books to him about him. That's where, like, the whole brontosaurus, brachiosaurus yeah. thing is. Like, we grew up knowing it was a brontosaurus, but apparently before that it was called a potosaurus, and then they realized that it was the same dinosaur and it actually shouldn't be called brontosaurus. They only really changed that name to make it more commercial. Mm. And then, so it's actually called a potosaurus now. Brontosaurus doesn't really exist. Oh, thanks Isn't for that telling crazy? He, I'm surprised he hasn't <laughs> corrected me yet. Um, I don't think he completely grasped that whole concept, even though we read it. For, I read it to him from the same book. But, um, now, but have, yeah. Have you shown him any Flintstone car- cartoons yet? I have not. So Again, he hasn't seen goes, him slide down a dinosaur. To no, that goes against my my moral integrity of the <laughs> fact that humans and dinosaurs did not live together. That's right. We don't want to confuse him. No um, confusion. Most recently... Um, when we we had a family conversation and um, my nephew was able to list dinosaurs from A to Z. I, did he get I, all the way to Z? He did. And I'm going to, I would like to say that while I would love to believe that he completed that task, um, I think some of them he made up. <laughs> I, think he I wouldn't know the up. difference. I know you wouldn't know the difference, but it's still I think it's more what's I think what's more amazing is that not just the fact that he got from A to Z, but the fact that he was like, I'm not sure what that one is. So I'm just going to make one up and it's going to sound so believable that no one's going to know the difference. I mean, he's he cracks me up. We are always kind of like this little dinosaur encyclopedia is just he's so funny anyways. Anyways. Anyways, watch Jurassic Park. Long kiss, good night. If you like Gina Davis, definitely watch it. Yeah. If you like Sam Jackson, watch yep. it. But uh, and if you like it, Sam Jackson, watch this movie because I think I really like him he, in this movie. He's he excellent. He kind of saves the day movie. too. And, and you know he's he really is 
the voice of reason. I mean, Jeff Goldblum is too, but he yeah. and Jeff he and Jeff Goldblum together are really the voice the voices of reason in this movie. Absolutely. So anyway, well, I want to thank everyone for listening. Um, we really appreciate anyone who's taking the time to listen to us ramble on about movies. <laughs> it's fun. Um, I was just curious. I was thinking about this the other day. I don't know if we, I think we mentioned this on a previous episode, but Nancy is trying to. Oh, she has yeah. this very large goal of trying to watch 300 movies this year. Um, I wanted to see how you're doing. It's actually you don't have to tell us how many, but if you want to give us an update. Well. I've actually decided because of the pace I'm on, I'm going to aim for 366 for one, technically for every day of the year. And okay. I'm at like 155 now. Holy crap. Yeah. And, and again, by watching movies for our podcast, which is what I was mostly doing for the, before the quarantine, I was already, you know, getting a couple movies in every week, every other week. But now, yeah, I mean... It's a lot, but it's great. I'm finally getting to movies that have been living on my Netflix queue for, oh, I don't know, 10, 15 years, something like that. It's been yeah. crazy. So, Well, and, and I bring this up not just because we're a movie podcast, but just to show people like out there like, hey, this sheltering in place stuff kind of sucks. Not having to go places kind of sucks, but... You know, try and use this time to do something, you know, productive, something that makes you feel good. I mean, I don't know if necessarily watching movies, you know, all the time is that productive. But if it's a stress reliever, it if is. it's keeping your mind off yeah. of, you know, yeah. the vi- the virus, well, you know, and, go for it. And, go, and also, you know, it's just, you know, having so many different kinds of stories versus just watching a TV show you know, binging six seasons of a show, it's kind of helped keep things feel very, uh, you know, unique day to day versus, oh, I'm on episode, you know, 138 of this one show. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, but no, I'm having so. a good time with it. Thanks for asking that. No, no. We, I think that uh, it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a very, it's a good challenge. Yeah. You know, We'll see. Uh, we'll see if keep, I peter out. I may. I may. I may get bored of it and stop. But at this now point, Nancy, I don't think I will. <laughs> and Nancy has an accounting background, so I'm assuming she's keeping track and possibly some sort of ledger that uh, of of the movies that are being watched. Maybe a potential rating system. You took it. You, um, yeah. You. Yeah. How I watched it. What. What. What service I used. You know. Yeah. If it's cool. been in my Netflix queue, how long it's been in my queue. Yeah. Just a little. Things. So. I'm not saying that, you know, during COVID people need to need to go that crazy, but you know, we're all going crazy anyways. So, well, you can't, you can't go out there, but get, you know, try and do something, you know, let's, let's try and make the best of this crappy situation. That's correct. So, (sighs) um, again, thank you everyone for listening. Um, we really appreciate it. Uh, my name is Matthew. My name is Nancy. And this has been fighting over the VCR. Take care. Thank you.